Well, again, it's a real privilege to be able to be here with you. And I, I really do feel that Plenty Life and Together Church, as uh, you're now known, have been friends in this, this journey on mission and discipleship for some years now. And I appreciated your kind and generous words earlier, Dan. I feel that uh, we too have been inspired by your journey and your faithfulness in responding to what it is that God's called you to over all these years as well. And that's one of the great encouragements about being part of a movement together, uh, that we get to share stories, we get to hear perspectives from each other, and that's important for us as we keep pursuing uh, the mission of God and his love in our lives. So it's a privilege to be here with you today. Um, I don't know about you, but... For me, my understanding of who Jesus is and what he was on about has certainly changed a lot over the years. So my early years were not in the context of a Christian family, but I did have this deep sense that there was something I was missing in my life. I hit an exist existential crisis in grade six. <laughs> I felt like Honestly, there had to be a reason why I was here, that it wasn't just an accident, and I began to explore. Uh, I then found my mum being somewhat responsive to that, and by somewhat I mean she'll drop me off to Sunday school and go back and enjoy the morning with Dad. <laughs> so that was great, just a, a breakfast without the kids, and you know, having four kids myself, I don't blame her for that. I think that's uh, totally understandable, really. There's um, there's life in that, isn't there? <laughs> Sorry about that, Daniel. You've got to be helpful, that's right. Sorry. Um, so, you know, I understood Jesus through Sunday school as being this religious figure, just a good teacher. He loved lambs, especially lambs. I don't know why it was lambs, but he loved lambs, right? And that was roast lamb. I could... Hallelujah. Um, so, I didn't understand what... <laughs> lamb shanks. Yeah, shanks for that. Appreciate that. <laughs> Come on, I'm here all day. Thank you, thank you. So, um, <laughs> so you know, but that, I could not connect him with God. You know, I mean, this is the thing. I, and you'd think that's fairly significant, right? You know, understanding who Jesus is as God. And so I didn't get that understanding until I was about 15. And it was actually, it was really interesting. Look at the Old Testament prophecies and seeing how perfectly the life of Jesus fulfilled them. And it was just this exploration, a heart for truth and pursuing my sense of God's calling on my life at that young age, even before I knew who Jesus was, right? That's important. You know, God is at work in our lives even before we know him, right? And that's important for mission. God's already at work in people's lives before they might know him. And I was in that place, but then had this quite a, a powerful experience when I was 15, where it all came together. And I realized that Jesus is actually the Messiah. So it was more than just a religious leader. He was the one anointed, called by God to be the saviour of the world and the saviour of me. And so my life totally flipped at that point. And I couldn't wait to share that revelation with others around me, although it was two o'clock in the morning, so I thought I'd better hold back a little bit at that time. But it was still that, that's the heartbeat that I gained at that time that has uh, been with me ever since. So great heart to share the truth about Jesus being so much more than just a religious leader with others in the world around me. But I've also learned there's more to Jesus than Messiah, even though that is 
our primary understanding to have of who he is. Over the years, and particularly over his last 10 years, I've come to understand what kind of a, a man he was as it came to his leadership. He was an extraordinary leader. In fact, he was a movement leader of the likes of which this world has never seen before nor since. And catalyzing a movement that we are a part of today. And so what I have come to understand is how intentional he was about catalyzing a movement of disciple making where people would learn to be like him and learn to do the things that he did in a way that multiplied out from that place in Israel all the way through to the ends of the earth and from that time 2,000 years ago to today. And so today, I thought I'd unpack that a little bit. What was it about this leadership thing that was so powerful in catalyzing a movement that we actually, not, we're not just part of, but that we have responsibility for today under God? How does that work? What do we need to keep in mind? Here's the thing. I think what we see in the life of Jesus that's paradigmatic, a pattern for our own, is we see the way that God was at work preparing him. Have you ever wondered what it was that it was 30 years before Jesus commenced his public ministry? I do you think that's a bit unusual in some respects? I, I think we need to take stock of that and go, why was it that there was all that time? Well, I think God was at work as he engaged with the Father in the workshop with his own earthly dad as well and engaged in the cities and the culture around him. There was a preparation phase for Jesus. You know, we all have that preparation phase in our life too. God has shaped you uniquely through the sum of all the different experiences in your life to be the person for mission that he's called you to be today. He's prepared you to do good things in advance. These good things that he's prepared in advance, he's prepared you to come at them just as you are, not as anybody else, but uniquely as you. God has been shaping you and will continue to shape you for his work both now and into the future. We see that in the life of Jesus. His preparation went well before his birth, actually, in many respects, but we see that that was significant for him. And then what he set out to do in those early years of his public ministry was to lay some foundations. He demonstrated what it was to be a kingdom person and demonstrated what it was to live life in the power of the Spirit in response to the call of his father. There was a whole foundations phase and he showed what it looked like to live out the life of faith and to live the kingdom life. And then from there, he invited people to participate. He went from foundations to participation as he invited people into this work with him. And that's when things really got interesting as we see his early disciples start to engage in some of the works of the kingdom alongside Jesus and to realize that they too with Jesus had been given this authority to do what the father was up to but to sustain that work Jesus then had to raise up leaders and that's where we come to today this is the point that I wanted to uh, bring us to as we consider this afternoon what it is that Jesus did in terms of leadership multiplication because I think this is really critical for sustainability in church communities. That actually what we're dealing with here is one of a discipling dynamic and disciple making activity 
that needs leadership to sustain it and to further it. And so we'll look at just what Jesus does in all of that. But how am I using the word leadership? I mean, there are thousands of different definitions. I might be overstating it, but thousands of definitions about what it is to be a leader or what leadership looks like. Here's my definition for us today. And it's actually on the screen. Make it a little bit easier. There we are. So it's anyone who's stepping up to use their God-given influence to make disciples and extend God's kingdom. In other words, if you're here today, aware of God's call in your own life, if you're living with a desire to follow in the ways of Jesus and to respond to the voice of the Spirit, you're a leader. You're a born-again leader. We have a role to play in outworking God's glorious purposes in this world. And the question is, are we living from a place of recognising that? You see, it might not be easy to remember that we've been called to lead as co-workers with Christ because the outworking of Christendom has a powerful impact on our mindset when it comes to leadership. We've inherited this, this view that leaders are part of a hierarchy that's up here, that, that only those who are authorised and released to do this work is, is what leadership consists of, that it's about receiving more than participating that it's about being a designated minister, that that's what leadership looks like. And the rest of us are those that are to be ministered to, that are the followers, the flock. Also, we live in a Western consumer culture. So this is compounded all the more as we're wired to expect to receive rather than really participate and recognise our place in the movement. So Jesus brings us in what he does in his public ministry, this critique to the culture of institutional church as we've known it and even the culture of our day. What does it look like? Well, Jesus models this leadership. We see again and again, we see two things really displayed. Love, a great love for others. His leadership is motivated by love. And when it's not motivated by love, that's when we see that it can be destructive in people's lives. It can turn from something that's life-giving to something that's controlling and limiting. But Jesus doesn't do that. He exercises with love. But he also exercises with power. There's authority. It's a godly, loving authority. And so he speaks truth. He speaks life to people, and people respond to that. And this is the leadership of Jesus that we see again and again. At its heart, it's selfless, beats with a passion to give and a desire to serve. It's a leadership of Jesus that's both powerful and beautiful. I think we saw something of this selfless leadership in something that happened with a particular soccer team in June and July last year. Any of you recall what happened to the Wild Boars soccer team? Yep, you might recall they were trapped in a cave in Northern Thailand for two weeks, over two weeks. Um, so here they are, a not very clear photo of them, but um, huddled in the darkness, wondering when they might be set free. And you might have heard about the assistant coach, uh, Coach Ekapol, uh, went to great lengths to keep the 13 boys calm and alive. In the pitch dark, kilometres down, in a flooded cave, he kept them calm and even went 
himself without food for days so that the boys would have more to eat. Very selfless. As for the rescue itself, he emerged as the last one out. He had put the rest of the team ahead of himself. And this wasn't something new. And this is the thing to understand about him. Is this kind of action was consistent with his life and his leadership up to that moment, that critical moment. He had reflected it throughout his engagement with the kids up until then. He would provide for the boys whenever he could, encouraging them to do better academically, sorting pickups and drop-offs, ensuring that they made it to training. A friend of his, uh, Joy Kampai, described his behaviour like this. He loved them more than himself. The parents in his town, they knew this, and that's why they rallied around him and called him a hero after this particular critical incident. You see, servant leadership is a powerful thing. That's what Jesus calls us to as he multiplies the impact of his movement. He begins with 12 of his closest disciples in Luke 9. And then in Luke 12, sorry, from Luke 9, only a chapter later in Luke 10, he expands his leadership circle to 72. And he doesn't end there. By the end of the gospel, we know that there are 120 disciples who are committed to doing his work. And then 3,000 more the day of Pentecost all the way to us here today we're called to lead out in the work of building God's kingdom do we recognize this do we know the part that we're called to play in that passage that I referenced there from Luke uh, chapter 9 and then chapter 10 we see the way that Jesus builds out his ministry and raises up leaders and I just want to invite you to, I don't know if you've got a Bible handy or not, but if you want to flick it open to Luke chapter 10, I'll grab mine. Okay, so from in Luke 10 we read, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs, there's a theme, (laughs) amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable that day for Sodom than for that town. So in this, we see that Jesus is stepping it up with his disciples saying, as I have done, I am now sending you to do also. And he calls for those 12 to go with him into this. He recognises, first of all, that there is this harvest that is around. There are people who need to know more about the hope that he brings. There are people who don't recognise that they are born, not as an accident, but for a purpose and for knowing the love of God in their lives. So he sends them out. And where this is taking place, or when this is taking place, 
is in the three months between the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Dedication, uh, which I, I kind of love, this kind of measuring of time through feasting. I think it's a really good principle right there. It's a great calendar to pursue. Um, Jesus is hanging between these two great feasts somewhere around Judea. And he's seeing the need for the work. He can see that the harvest is plentiful. There are people out there in Judea who haven't heard the good news of the kingdom. And it's more than what he and the 12 can respond to. The need is great. And the need is still great today. You know, sometimes we can look around us and we can think, oh, people seem fairly self-sufficient. People seem quite content in their lives, they don't seem to be in such need or want. But if you scratch the surface, see often there's this thin veneer that covers a lot of angst and hopelessness. And we know this, don't we? Brokenness actually runs deep in every neighbourhood. There is a deep, deep need for people to know the good news of the kingdom, that they're loved and that they have a purpose for their lives. Now, we've encountered that a lot through our missional communities as we've engaged with people throughout our area. And that's why those missional communities all have a particular vision for being good news to others. The missional community um, that my family and I are part of, it's called uh, Zinc. Uh, and we have been running in the earlier part of this year uh, a Mernda meet and greet. It's an opportunity for people from the local community to connect with others over chips and coffee and conversation. We do it in a local park and we just set ourselves up there and see who might come along. And uh, here are some of the, the members there. And it's really simple. We run little games for the, the kids. This is what we're doing at the, uh, the start of this year. And we had um, uh, in that context a guy called Graham. Uh, Graham's in, in the mix there on the left-hand side. And uh, he was coming along because he was incredibly lonely, but he was also feeling very much distressed about his wife who was in a nursing home uh, and who did not have uh, long to live. And so he was joining with us uh, as people that he felt were safe and that could offer just a, a hand of friendship and some compassion and care and time. And he would be a, very much a regular at these uh, meet and greets. And then a few months ago he actually called me out of the blue and his wife had actually passed away and he he asked me if I would come to her bedside and just spend time uh, with him and the other extended members of his family and just pray and and I think to myself the reason why he reached out to me was because he got to know us because we went out and made ourselves available to connect with people he would not have known that sort of love and care and compassion otherwise and it's just taking that you don't know what God's going to do as you step out into places like this and invite people in to connect with you but sometimes it can be well just make all the difference to people's lives and so we've just been pursuing that and we've recognized that there are people like Graham all throughout our neighborhood people that are feeling lonely you know there's in the uh, British government now they've appointed someone as being the minister for loneliness they've actually elevated this as a real felt need in their society where they're going we have a crisis of loneliness on our hands we need to invest in this and we as a church we get to play a part in offering hope of connection 
and belonging to people, which is awesome. But it does take stepping out and being in a place of access, looking out with compassion. Here's the thing, unless we actually go out into the field and to the community and engage with people, they won't know anything about this. Jesus sees the need, he sees the harvest, and so he sends. He sends the 72. He sends them as, as leaders, as kingdom influencers to continue his work, going from home to home, to heal the sick and pro- proclaim the kingdom. And he's doing this, calls them to do this work as the Father had sent him. He's saying, as the Father has sent me, the way that I've gone about doing this myself, I'm now sending you to go and do likewise. This is the modelling, the apprenticing of Jesus. And these disciples and all of us here today have been sent to carry out this work. We see what it looks like. The 72 go out looking for people of peace, for those who are responsive to their message and ministry. There were people who listened to them, some that didn't, but that didn't stop them. They kept looking for those that were open to them and opened their homes and showed them favour. And whenever there were such people of peace, they stayed there, didn't they? They invested time with them. They ate with them. They spent time in their household. They shared their lives and made disciples. And this is still the call on us today. This is still the work of Jesus today. You know, sometimes the church can focus on uh, more formal roles or positions that are organisational in nature. That way, however, in that space, we can forget, though, that our primary role as leaders is in God's mission. Serving the Lord in leadership is more than leading a program or a group or even a community. It's seeking out people of peace to disciple, to find those people of peace and to lean into those relationships wherever they might be. And you know, this is at the heart of missional communities. Um, together as a spiritual family, we, we seek after people of peace in our neighbourhoods and networks, investing our lives in them and calling them to know and follow Jesus. And the impact of this, I think we see two, two ways in which the impact of this is felt keenly by the disciples themselves. It's from verse 17. And the first of these is this joy, an experience of joy. When you see people of peace responding to you and opening up and starting to experience something of the fullness of life that they were created to experience... This is the the reward in the mission itself as you see people responding. And again, there'll be some who don't. And Jesus is really clear about that with the 72. And he says, don't let that bother you. Just keep on walking. Just keep on walking. And find those that are open because they will be incredibly blessed by your presence and be opened up to the things of the kingdom and to what life is all about. And so I wonder if you have experienced some of that as you've seen people that have been open to hearing more about faith and receiving more of what God might want for them. You see, God is at work in you as you serve him and others and it fills you with a joy that can fill you up inside. You realise that you're a part of something much bigger than you where God displays a power and a love that you know is beyond yourself and that can change a person's life, can set them free. This is the joy that can be found in reaching out to others in the work of the kingdom. And I know that with Graham, uh, like he was incredibly thankful. And what was really interesting is on the back of that, he's a a member of an organisation in our locality called Murder and 
and uh, Doreen Residents Association. And because of that sort of outreach that we did and connecting with him and just how we felt about that, when he heard that our missional community had a new missional vision only uh, like a couple of months ago, it came to us around asylum seekers in our area, some of the most marginalised and refugees, so some of the most marginalised in our community. We've started these friendship lunches to create an opportunity for them to feel welcome and to belong. He heard about that and on Madra, he was like, we've got to support these guys. We've got to support them. So they've given us $1,000 as grant to be able to fund our lunches moving forward. And you can see how the blessing flows like this out of his changed life in encountering compassion and goodness. He's then seeking to pay that forward in a sense. And that's been a great blessing for us. And it has been an amazing thing as for our missional community has uh, seen all the, we had 50 or so asylum seekers and refugees join us for our last friendship lunch and they too now are starting to see what it looks like to live a kingdom life and to live with Jesus. So it takes us going out of our comfort zone where you no longer trust in your own competence and capacity but are instead depending on God. That's what we see in this and that's where the joy springs from where you know it's not about what you've done but about what God is doing through you the good things that he has prepared in advance in this process we too are changed but not only that we see the disciples discovered this unearthing of authority we can second guess ourselves we can lack confidence at times about that which God has called us to but when we recognize that our authority comes from Jesus and flows from our intimacy with him we can then find a, a trust and a capacity to exercise confidence even as we go forward they said even the demons submit to us in your name these leaders in the work of jesus had invaded enemy territory pushed back the darkness and they were amazed jesus says i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven this authority is something we each have received so the question here is, do we exercise it? Do we recognise our partnership in the things of the kingdom, the leadership potential that we have, and do we exercise authority, loving authority? Are we praying for those around us, praying for healing and freedom and wholeness? And the people will come to know Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. As we lean into this and exercise our authority, we take back ground from the enemy, darkness, Please. And you see, this is the power of the movement of Jesus. It's in servant-hearted leaders who step out with joy, confident in the authority of Jesus to join him in undoing the works of the enemy and seeing the kingdom come in people's lives. Notice how different a thing this leadership work is to what we usually associate it with in terms of running a program or supervising a group. It's so much more than that. Sometimes we think that unless we have a particular title or a role on the roster that somehow we're not leaders. But can you see how that's not the case? We all have a role here in exercising this kingdom and influence through Jesus. Whilst we might have a position organisationally, every one of us is a leader in the movement of Jesus. We have a mantle to do his work. And as we realise this and release this all the more, we become more the church we're meant to be. Now, there's more in this passage that we can take hold of as well, where we see how the multiplication of leadership 
unfolds and what that needs to look like for us. Here are five quick principles that I wanted to share with you around this as well. This first one comes from verses 1 to 4 in this passage where we see an emphasis on prayer. We need to be praying for the harvest, praying for the workers. Does prayer permeate your practice and your culture as church? So at the start of each year, this is where we go. It's the very first thing we do at the end of January is we have a time of of prayer, um, just a few hours together, but where we are seeking to hear God's voice for his work as we go into the year ahead. How do you practice prayer together? Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in his harvest field. It's the first thing. It's the heart of mission because God is the Lord of the harvest. The second thing is, as we've described, we need to connect through people of peace. So looking for people who are responsive and leaning in that direction. For my family and I, um, it's very clear who our people of peace are and they're over the back fence. Uh, Their names are Mike and Heather. And um, Mike will pop up in the backyard at all hours of the day. Uh, It's quite hilarious because you never quite know when you're going to see him bob on past the window, you know. And we're in the office space inside a house and sometimes we'll see him going down to get the lawnmower, to get it out and to run over the grass one more time that week. And he attends to our garden. We would have no plants if it wasn't for Mike. He ensures that our garden actually survives. You know, and so he's regularly there. And when we have uh, barbecue on the go, he's there to set it all up. He's really keen. He's he's not yet a Christian, but he is leaning into serving us regularly, and has a real heart for our family and a heart for our church. And what's really cool is that with the asylum seeker lunches that we're now running, he and his wife are starting to participate in those. So they've been coming along for the last four or five months and just joining in with our work. But they've got a heart for other people as well and they're learning more about what it is to follow to follow Jesus and that's what people need they need opportunity to suss this out and see that it's got credibility following Jesus because for some of them they've never ever encountered this before in their lives so find those people of peace who are they for you in your life how do you invest in them how do you serve with them but the third thing then is about sowing the good seed of the gospel. This is about healing the sick, announcing the kingdom of God. It is about doing good things. It's about letting your light shine wherever you are to approach mission from a a heart to serve and to do good. It's about being a blessing. In fourth, we invest and we invite. That's what verse 7 is about. It's about investing in genuine relationships about sharing our lives, not just our words. And as we do so, we look for an opportunity to invite people to start following Jesus with us. Uh, This might be through a prayer that we we pray. Um, It might be just a simple invitation in, as we're doing with Mike and Heather, Heather, to follow us as we bless others. And over time, their understanding of who Jesus is emerges. Fifth, we commission and we send. This is where, as we continue to invest in the people of peace over time, the hope is that they too will become leaders in the disciple-making movement. We want to not just invite them to follow Jesus, but also then to be sent out into his mission and work with us as well. This is 
what we've seen all the way through chapters 8, 9 and 10 of Luke where disciples are commissioned as leaders to join Jesus in his work. They went out in small groups but they returned as a whole community. And this is where these, the concept of missional community really comes into its own where we go, yep, it's about having Jesus and his mission at the centre of doing life together as family. So I'd like you to consider afresh today that you are a leader in the movement making of Jesus and his activity in this world to recognize that you have been given this call to exercise kingdom influence wherever you are to invest in the people of peace that are in the world around you to exercise love and authority as you go into the things that God has called you to I would like to invite you to perhaps even stand with me and to even pray a prayer with me, which is a prayer of recommissioning. Take a moment to have a look at these words. And if you'd like to join me in this, um, then I'll invite you to stand and we can say this together. These are words of commissioning that would apply for those of us who are seeking to go after uh, what God has called us to through Jesus, to recognise our leadership. All right, let me invite you, yeah, to stand. Let's uh, So recognising that God's call is here, that his spirit is with us, and that, as Jesus said, he is sending us as he himself has been sent. Let's say these words together. As the Father sent Jesus, I too have been sent to be a servant leader in his kingdom work, to know the joy of mission to exercise the authority of my king and to see the kingdom come in people's lives. I do this with my church and my spiritual family and ask the spirit to lead us and empower us as we seek to humbly follow his call. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the Lord bless you and may you know his leading, his love and his empowering in your life together as a church long into the future for his glory. Amen.